0: By, by the business of life driving down the road and it was, I watch people actually when I'm driving down the road I watch the road but when I'm pulled to the side you know, you, God, you're public speaking you have to clarify my wife always tells me you know what you said <laughs> no I had dyslexia I don't really don't know what I said what was I at? I forgot He had to check his phone. A man is pumping gas, and he's pumping gas, and that takes a whopping two or three minutes. He has to whip out his phone and check his phone. I want to roll my window down. You are not that important. It'll wait. Our business of life crowds around us. It pushes on us the complexities, humanistic worldview and a secular worldview, and I'm a part of that life. I feel it pressing in upon me all the time. The psalmist, though, in verse 1, he starts big in verse 1. The atmosphere around him, the heavens declaring, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. All that big world air around him. And then in verse 2, he goes beyond that and he begins to narrow it down to time period in verse 2. Day unto day and night. And then in verse 3 he creates, he compares it to a language for us that we ought to be listening to. That we are without excuse because this voice of God speaking through the music of nature is so beautiful communicating on so many multiple levels we ought to be hearing voices lessons learned this morning three lessons learned lesson number one we are without excuse it surrounds us all language all nature all earth sings to us the praises of God nature is changing on and on, and there's really nothing I can do squat about when the flowers want to bloom and when the flowers want to fade, when the leaves want to burst into life and when they want to change into different colors. I can do really nothing about that because nature has a wonderful orchestra of timing that I only have to embrace and to enjoy that. Had some cool weather the past uh, week or so. I enjoyed it. almost felt like September. I, I enjoyed that cool weather. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, the Apostle Paul, he makes note of this. He says, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Aristotle, several thousand years ago, wrote, should a man live underground and there converse with the works of art and mechanism, and afterwards be brought up into the open day and see the glories of earth and heaven, he would immediately pronounce them the works of God. Aristotle said that. By the way, it's not God. It's God. You, you always have to remember that. Robert Jastrow, in a more contemporary quote, wrote a quote you probably heard before, but it bears worth repeating. For the scientist who has lived by their faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. They have scaled the mountains of ignorance. They are about to conquer the highest peak. They pull themselves up over the last peak of knowledge and is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. They turn to them and say, what took you so long? The theologians knew the answers all along. And us, in our scientific studies, we often get confused. We're going in a wrong direction. So what do we do? Two things we do in this life, here today. One, we acknowledge the rise of secularism. Evolutionary philosophy of life. And a materialistic worldview pervades our existence. Watch any documentary on television about the natural order of creation and animals and and and, and the Grand Canyon in one of our whatever it is evolutionary philosophy. Visit the Grand Canyon, visit the any any museums of historical nature, and their plaques written on the plaques all embrace of evolutionary philosophy of life. In a materialistic worldview without a spiritual atmosphere to it. Acknowledge the rise of secularism, and two, don't be ashamed of a biblical worldview of life. A biblical worldview of life that addresses the issue of pain and hardship in the world, that deals with sin and suffering, that deals with right and wrong, that answers these fundamental questions that people wrestle with all the time. The biblical worldview of life, is a healthy, productive worldview of life. That's lesson number one. Lesson number two, it brings strength. It brings strength into our life. Verse number five, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth like a strong man to run the race. The strong man and the bridegroom are confident (laughs) They're excited about what is going to become of their future. The bridegroom is taking uh, his wife unto him. What an exciting time it is. He has a strength filled with anticipation of what is going to be, what their future will be like. I watch TV shows on, on TV. That's really what I do. I watch The Good Channel, The Inspiration Channel, all shows that are 40 years old. Those are the shows I like, like Bonanza, good stuff like that, How the West Was Won. I'll let Walker, Texas Ranger, squeeze in there a little bit, but that's a little too new for me. I watch Monk TV show. Monk is sad. Monk is a detective in the east-west coast. Yeah, he's over there. And he, he knows everything, but he has all these problems, and I catch myself yelling at the TV, you cannot handle these problems without God. You cannot overcome these issues without the Lord. You cannot overcome these ailments and these flaws and these hurts and these past failures without God in your life. And that's why the author says in verse 5, it's like a strong man. He implies that I have strength to overcome the task. I have power to overcome the task. I'm coming out of a tent. He likens the chamber as a tent, a covering, clear demarcation from a covering of protection and going out into the elements, filled with excitement, though, and anticipation, what it will bring. That's why my Bible tells me Christ is for us. Who can be against us? Imagery of strength and confidence of a strong man eager to run the race, preparing for the challenges. The beauty of creation sounds a trumpet for us. It cheers us on. The heavens are declaring it. What strength do we need for the task? David looks around him. And he does not look around him to people. David looks up to the heavens. Psalm 121 says, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence my help come from. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Of course he loves his friends. Of course they encourage him. But his ultimate help comes from the Lord, who is unchanging, not with the seasons of the time, who doesn't grow old. We love our parks. We love our nature in our country. Our country set the example to the rest of the world. Our country set, af- set aside the very world's first national parks. At the turn of the century, under the, the uh, guidance of um, President Roosevelt, We have an abundance of national parks where we see God's creation and it calms us and it fills us with his beauty. My middle son, Caleb, is on a two-year journey around the United States. He started in Ohio, went to Mexico, or Missouri rather, Uh, then to Texas and Arizona, then New Mexico, California. Right now, he puts on Facebook, and he sends us Facebook posts. He's on the Oregon coast this weekend. And he slowly, after two-year, maybe a three-year journey, he'll be heading back eastward to enjoy all these natural wonders, Mount Rainier and and the Oregon coast and the Atlantic Ocean and go surfboarding and the hot Arizona sun and... um, All the, well, Missouri really doesn't have much. I've I've lived in Missouri. Man, a Chevet's. You want to build a deck on the back of your house, you're digging a post hole digger, the rocks in the dirt have rocks in them. Missouri just has red rocks. Thank you, Jesus. That was only four years. Missouri's a wonderful place filled with caves. Filled with caves. Lovely place. But we visit the beach off in the sandy beaches of Lake Superior. There is a beach there where the sand is like refined sugar falling through your fingertips. And it is covering and all compassing. But he steps from that covering in this dramatic ushering forth. Creation gives him a sense of wonder, it gives him a sense of of boldness, of what can be done in our life. I ask us a question this morning. Are we listening? Thirdly, lesson I learned is God's word is supreme. There seven steps he goes through in the end of Psalm 19. We'll see how far we get. David shifts from praising God and creation, the big, and he narrows it down to time, then he narrows it down to a language, and finally narrows it down to the word. He shifts from praising God and creation to praising God through his revealed, specific word. Creation tells us something of God. Creation tells us of the big picture, of his order, his unity and explicit beauty. Ask an atheist why flowers are so beautiful. What kind of answer would they give? How does a flower create? It creates its enzymes and chemicals and photosynthesis and whatnot. How? But why? Why is a philosophical question that an atheist cannot answer? Creation tells us something of this why, though. Because of God's love for the world, that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So he starts in creation, and he narrows it down to his Son, his expressed word. God's word in the first verse is effective. Effective. It does the work in verse. Um, in verse seven, excuse me. The law of the Lord is perfect. It converts the soul. It goes beyond mental benefit or mental aspirations. It changes us. It transforms us. The when the Hebrew word, the word is to revive, to bring to life. It brings healing to the whole person. Oh, I feel sorry for the person who says, I want to go out in nature, I feel God there. I feel sorry because it's incomplete. I feel sorry for them because it's not whole, because God has not completely revealed himself. I feel sorry for them because they don't get to, to fellowship with men and brethren, brethren and sisters. i to add that in this modern age. Sisters, men and sisters of like precious faith. I feel sorry for them when, when they only get their sustenance from, from nature itself, and not their sustenance from the encouragement of fellow believers. Because it actually, his word, transforms us. It converts our souls where we seek forgiveness and wholeness and inner healing. In verse 8, secondly, they are right. They are morally right. They are universally right. And they are practically right. They work in our lives. Two, the word actually is means to make straight, to make smooth and upright without uh, jig-jogs in the pathway. They are right. I would like to live a life where all my energies are right and they are true and they are just. So I'm more productive. I'm more, more, more fulfilled and have purpose in my life. Wow, that would be wonderful. Yes, that is the way that I might listen to this voice in Psalm 19. Thirdly, verse, they they enlighten my eyes. To enlighten means to bring cheer, to bring comfort. For, for Number four, they are clean. They never grow tarnished with old age and with time. That's what it means. They never grow old and out of date and out of fashion. They never are beyond the cultural relevance of the age that we live in. I ask us a question this morning. Psalm 19 shares this proclamation and he narrows it down that I might ask a question. Are we listening? Are we hearing voices? Yes, go to the lake in summertime. Yes, enjoy God's creation. Absolutely. In verse 14, David pulls from nature, but he pulls from Scripture. And he concludes it with Scripture. Let the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight. He does not allow the wrong influence to step into his life. Rudolf Hess allowed a tragic influence to step into his life. He allowed the wrong influences to overshadow his thinking, his his philosophy, everything he would take in was that inundated, destructive force that reaped its own terrible reward. He looked around him at society and he made horrible decisions. His end was destruction. His end was sadness and grief. His end was sitting in a prison cell with one pastor who was willing to visit with him. No one else. Look up now. Prepare now for the battle. We we're in a battle every day, we we're in a battle with our salt, secular culture. We live, tragically, in a time where our culture is a post-Christian nation. Rise of secularism, we must combat it. There is no one to point fingers at, we must point them at ourselves. The church must combat the rise of secularism. Biblical worldview is healthy worldview, is good, wholesome worldview. We ought to look up and prepare for this battle. His name was Delbert Kroll. Kroll, excuse me, Delbert Kroll. He was born on a farm near Alexandria, Minnesota during the Great Depression. He moved to other location in Minnesota and as a teenager became a Christian in a Sunday school meeting. He was transformed by that Sunday school teacher who presented the gospel to him. His son says years later, in a 2001 interview. In 1942, Delbert graduated seminary in Minnesota. He volunteered to become a chaplain, ended up with the 82nd Airborne, and qualified to be a paratrooper. One of those people who jumped out of a perfectly good airplane. We live in Napoleon, that away eight miles. And if you go another mile and a half past us is the Napoleon Airport, where they teach intelligent people to jump out of perfectly good airplanes. I work in my backyard, and I see people in colorful parachutes jumping out of perfectly good airplanes. And they come down soft and effervescently, thankfully. But he was with the 82nd Airborne, and it became a paratrooper. He says in a letter, I organized a service for the regiments, Years later, he says in his um, documentary he wrote about his life, in an 1800 regiment of men at Fort Fort Brenning in Georgia, out of 1,800 men I was preparing for the service, two men came for the service, and one of them was drunk. He, there he decided, if men wouldn't come with me, I will go with them. He went everywhere they went. They went overseas. He went overseas. They went into battle. He went into battle. He would be there with them. Now the year is September 1944. The river, the location is the Rhine River. For some of you know your history, the Rhine River was one of the last battle, main battlefields. Fifty boats are asked to launch across. The Rhine River. The problem is it's an open field, it's an open river, and the enemy is bearing down on them with heavy machine gun fire. There's 50 boats made of canvas and plywood. Canvas and plywood. 50 boats. 26 boats make it across. You can fill in the blank what happened to that other 24 boats. They make it across and... All he has is a couple first-aid packs. 35 men lay wounded. For the next four hours, Chaplain Delbert is under hen- enemy fire, saving lives. And history records that he's documented as saving 35 wounded men. His influence saved their lives And more importantly, it converted many of them years later into the future through his soft, gentle, consistent, though, influence in their life. I could ask the musicians to come back. I want to ask you a question as they come back to their, their instruments. I challenge you to be ready, don't wait. The psalmist is preparing for a battle. His life is filled with battles. And he knows that he needs strength from on high. And he looks up, and the, strength's, the strength comes his way. It's like a bridegroom is stepping out of his tent, and he's being strengthened with such power and anticipation. Delbert needed strength, but he knew that the strength would be in the future, so he must strengthen himself now. The strength was needed in the future that was not clear. It was not predictable. So I must strengthen myself now, in this predictable moment, in this predictable time. I must be ready now. I need not wait. I must prepare for battle Because the battle is promised to come. Not in Delbert's life. He served, and he went on to God's reward. But in your life, there will be a battle. You're part of a battle now, probably. You could be part of an emotional battle, or or financial, or limitations in your life, or in relationships with other people. I implore you, through the voices of Psalm 19 prepare for battle prepare for it now prepare for enrichment prepare for I I can step off this step that's okay I have no microphone I'm becoming modern here we go (laughs) I like these modern things but I'll still stick to it I need a battle I had a battle last two weeks emotional battle, heavy heart at home, not as much talking, not as much joking, something stirring in my spirit, in my mind. That battle is over. It's cleared itself up and there promises to be other challenges. I need to hear voices this morning. I need to hear healthy voices this morning. I need to look to the heavens But whence comes my help? I need to realize my help comes, it comes from the Lord. Hallelujah, you made heaven and earth with all its complexities. Lord, let's pray. Let's pray now. Father, open up these altars in these moments. I invite the prayer team to come forward. Father, we're beginning to prepare our hearts for the altar. We need strength for your battle. As the prayer team is coming forward, Father, we need strength for your battles. I invite you now. We need strength for battles now. I invite you to come. I invite you to come now. Strength for battle. Thank you, Lord, that we our strength would be comparison, would be likened unto us stepping out of that tent that covering, that shadow, into a glorious light, into a glorious time frame, into a glorious strength, surrounded by your creation, singing praises to us, glorifying you and empowering us with your spirit in Christ's name. Thank you, Lord, Speak into our souls, strengthening us for battle that we would know day unto day it a speech. And where there'd be no language, we would acknowledge that your voice is not heard, that it would come into, into every crevice of our life, that it would come in every aspect of our being, that it would speak into every area of our priorities, the things we do, and it would go out into all the world and it would touch our friends, touch our families. And most importantly, it would touch us in Jesus' name. Why don't we stand, Saints, and begin our worship? You wouldn't come you want to come for prayer, I'd invite you to love the opportunity to pray with you. Our prayer team would love the opportunity to pray if you have a specific need. I invite you to come now in Jesus' name. Let's worship. one another and pray for one another.